Welcome to the Heme Consult Podcast, a weekly inspiration infusion for women of color and hematology. Dear woman of color and hematology, Heme Consults is your personal space to rest, recharge, and renew your spirit with a weekly infusion of inspiration from hematologist Dr. Toyasi Anwemena. Every Sunday, Dr. Anwemena will remind you that you are a superstar and have everything you need to succeed in your incredible career as a hematologist. Welcome to the Hematology Sisterhood that will transform your world. Welcome to the Heme Consults podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Anwemena, hematologist, physician scientist, educator, entrepreneur, coach. I have a lot of titles. <laughs> Today's episode is called Mistakes Are Allowed Here. You're allowed to make mistakes. You see, I just paused. I made a mistake. So, hey, mistakes are allowed here. Um, and the theme scripture for this episode is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And before I start the episode, I just want to pause and acknowledge that you are human. <laughs> Oh, woman of color in hematology, you're human, and your humanity is so beautiful. Your humanity is beautiful because there are flaws in you. You're not perfect, and still, great things happen through you. And I think that's one of the things that's just so beautiful about you, oh, woman of color in hematology, is just that you are so, so beautiful, and you are so human, and you are so frail, and you are so flawed. And yet greatness comes out of you. You save lives. Your thoughts are amazing because you are able to convert them into ideas that shape the way we care for patients, that shape the way we think about research, that shape the way we care for generations. You're going to be gone 100 years from now, probably. And the work you do, the impact you make, is going to continue long, long, long after you. And so I just want to say it is so amazing that you are so human, so frail, so flawed, and yet great things come out of you. That is so, so beautiful. And I just want to thank you <laughs> for being you. And I want to encourage you not to back away from that part of you that's so beautiful the part of you that's not perfect. And I know that in our society, people tend to emphasize perfection, even though it's not real. And because of that, we tend to hide our flaws or pretend they don't exist. But I do want to let you know that your flawed humanity is so beautiful because of the great power that comes from it. And I want you to celebrate it because I celebrate you. I celebrate you. Oh, human woman of color in hematology and all the other people out there listening who are not women of color in hematology. <laughs> yes, I know who you are. <laughs> so I want to thank you again for being here today. And I want to just acknowledge that it is a sacred space to speak to you and allow me to be in your ears because I think that people should be selective in who they allow to speak to them. And the fact that you are allowing me to talk to you is a privilege. And I want to thank you for listening to me. And I believe that I have words that will encourage you. 
It's the reason I'm here. And I hope that you are changed and transformed as you listen to the words that I share with you today. So the story I want to share is a story that comes to me from residency. And I was a senior resident at the VA. Actually, I was probably a second year resident at the VA, which meant I had made the transition from being the intern doing everything to being the resident who is now leading the team. And this was on Gen Med, and I had just come off of overnight call. We had admitted patients through the night. And this was overnight call when people still did 30 hours of call. And we were going to go home early, so early meaning about 1 p.m. And then I was going to catch a plane and go to Orlando, Florida for Thanksgiving vacation. And all our patients had been tucked in. The day float came in and I signed over the patients. We had had attending rounds. Everything was done. Everything was done. And I was like super excited to leave the hospital, go home, go to the airport and get ready for my trip. I mean, my notes weren't done, <laughs> but I was, I was gone. And finally got to Orlando, got to the place where we were staying, you know, opened up the computer and started finishing up my notes. This is hours later. So maybe about six, seven hours after I had left the hospital. And so boy, was I surprised when I pull up the patient list and one of our patients had died. One of the patients we admitted overnight had died. (laughs) And my first thought was like, what? I mean, I actually totally was not expecting his death. And I started to look at his labs and I started to say, oh my goodness, he had a metabolic acidosis. Did I miss that? And what had happened actually was that his labs came back late. He was our last admission overnight. He looked great. Blood pressure was fine. Vitals were fine. I mean, he looked great. And so the labs were slow to come back. and. By the time we were handing over, doing the transition to the day float, having signed out and talked with the attending, labs were just coming back. And I was on my way to vacation, so I didn't necessarily stop to say, let me review all the labs and have a plan. There was none of that. So really, it was a day float who was following up labs. So now I am here seven hours later looking at labs saying, oh, my goodness, this guy had a metabolic acidosis. How did I miss that? And I started thinking, was I negligent? And did my negligence potentially lead to this patient's death? Now, can I take a step here and tell you that this guy had advanced metastatic cancer? And as much as he looked great, he was a sick guy. Let's just be real. But you know, patients with advanced metastatic cancer can live for a long time. So it wasn't a guarantee that just because he had advanced metastatic cancer, he was going to die. But he came with an advanced metastatic cancer and a metabolic acidosis. Something was wrong. And I don't remember the reason he came in the hospital, but you know, you don't come in the hospital and get admitted with advanced metastatic cancer and a metabolic acidosis and everything is great. But I also was surprised because he looked good enough that I didn't think he looked sick. And I don't know what happened in the interval between his admission overnight and my flight to Orlando. So what did I start doing? I started sobbing like a baby. I I did because I was like, holy cow. Did I do something wrong? Did my actions lead to the death of this guy? Was I in such a hurry to get to Orlando, Florida, that I didn't look at the labs on time? If I had looked at the labs earlier, would I have noticed he had a metabolic acidosis? If I had put my leaving the hospital on hold, could I have saved this man's life? 
and on and on and on it went. And I was, I was just crying. Like I was sobbing like a baby because I was so sure I had done something wrong. I, like I literally called the attending and I was like, holy cow, this guy died. What did I do wrong? Should I have noticed this? And I want to say I'm so grateful for this attending because she really literally paused to tell me you did not kill this guy. Like I had to hear her say that. I felt so guilty. And I wasn't sure that I'd done something wrong, but I also was like, but, but I didn't, I didn't save him from dying. You know, that, that felt like I had an opportunity that potentially I missed maybe because I was on my way. And so what a gift when this attending tells me that I don't think you've done anything wrong. I think he was a sick man. And why don't we review and see if there's anything that was missing? And so she's like, you're on vacation. Go enjoy your vacation. Come back. And then we'll review together. And that was such a gift to me because what she did for me was she lifted the weight of the guilt that I was feeling. I mean, guilt that didn't make sense, guilt that wasn't justified, but she lifted the weight of the guilt from me, put it away and said, you're, you're on vacation. This is not a common event, you being on vacation. Forget about the story. Stop looking in the chart. Let's come back and then let's review together. And I think I was able to let it go at least for a while. I mean, I cried like a baby, but I I was able to let it go. I think it was like a six day vacation or seven day vacation. I don't remember, but I came back and we did review and she told me she'd looked at the chart and that he probably was a guy who was already not doing well. And although he looked well temporarily, he had a severe metabolic acidosis. It was clear that he was going to die. I think he had a lactic acidosis that even though he looked well, Things pro- we probably couldn't have done anything differently that would have saved him in advance. And that was helpful for me to hear. And actually, at the end of the year, on an evaluation, she talked about how she felt that I was such a conscientious person that I went through to try to get feedback about a patient's experience that led to death to make sure that I hadn't done something wrong. And, and she put in parentheses, she didn't, n- didn't do anything wrong, which was important for me. Like, I literally need someone to tell me and give me permission and say, hey, you didn't do anything wrong. Okay, so I share that story. (laughs) Oh, goodness. You know, there's just some stories in medicine that you just like squish in the back of your head and you're like, I never, ever want to remember the story. And it's interesting when it comes back, it's like, wow, that happened. And it was such a traumatic experience. And so reliving it feels kind of feels a little bit surreal because I was like, wow, that happened probably 20 years ago now. And I still remember it. And it still honestly makes me pause and say, what? And, And it still makes me sad, actually. But I I tell that story to share that in medicine, there is an atmosphere of judgment that's real. I mean, we're dealing with lives. In many other things in life, you can make mistakes and be okay. But mistakes made over the life of a person could lead to their death. And so people take that seriously, and and they should. I mean, this is it's not a cavalier thing to entrust the life of a person into a physician's hands. It's a big deal. When we work in the hospital setting, like especially now, we're dealing with people who are super sick. So once upon a time, maybe people were sick a little bit and they were in the hospital for for weeks on end. Now, if you're in the hospital, you're a sick person. (laughs) You are super sick. And so we are working so hard to bring people back from the brink of death. And sometimes it gives us the sense that we're in charge. We're in charge of life and death. And the truth is that we're not. We are in a privileged position to help people to the best of our ability. 
but the end outcome does not depend on us. And so when people recover, we don't get to celebrate and say, I'm the best doctor ever. Woohoo, my patient survived. And when people die, we also don't get to say, oh, look at how bad a doctor I am. I couldn't save this person's life. Because there are things that are out of our control. And it kind of is a little bit arrogant to think that you have power over the final outcome. We don't have power over anybody's final outcome and certainly not our own. (laughs) And if you don't have power over your own final outcome, you don't have power over other people's final outcome. But that being said, we do want to be careful that we are not doing anything to inadvertently hasten somebody's exit from the world. We don't want to do something that directly results in someone's death. And for that reason, I think, for many reasons, but for that reason especially, medicine is a place sometimes of low tolerance for mistakes. It's like there is no mistake allowed here because mistakes lead to death. And I think that's appropriate. But the problem is that to have an environment where there is expectation that there is zero tolerance for mistakes is kind of not realistic because human beings are people who make mistakes. It's just kind of like the thing that comes with a human is a mistake maker. And what we really instead need to focus on in our learning environments is to create systems that make mistakes less likely but not to judge people harshly when those mistakes are made, but it's to think about how do we support people so that mistakes don't happen. What I'm saying is that learning environments are learning environments for a reason. And even in areas like medicine, they should be safe. They should be safe. They should be a safe environment where trainees can learn. And if there is fear, fear of making mistakes, then what happens where there's fear is that people make mistakes still, but then they hide mistakes or they scapegoat someone else. And we have an opportunity to create environments where people are safe enough to share with us when they have made mistakes, because it is a sacred opportunity to create a future where that mistake doesn't happen again. It is a sacred opportunity to evaluate the process and say, okay, this is where there's an opportunity to not do this thing that led to that mistake. And what this attending did for me, and can you believe I don't even recall her name, is she, she did two things for me. One is she took away my feeling of guilt. Like she gave me permission to enjoy my vacation. Seems like I should have been able to enjoy it without her permission, (laughs) but her permission was necessary because I I really did feel a weight of guilt. What she also did for me was to go through the system, like actually go through and evaluate step by step what happened. Not in a punitive strategy, not in a way to try to hurt me and say, this is where you did wrong, but to say, can we find an opportunity to correct the future so this doesn't happen again? And it was really important that she helped me do that, even a week later. I mean, I was no longer on the service, clearly, but she did that for me. And I really appreciate that she did that. So what I want to share with you is that as long as it's a learning environment, mistakes are going to happen. And what we want to make sure is that we don't make the mistakes that are costly, but we do want to give people space to be human. And if you are a learner in an environment 
and especially if you are underrepresented in that environment, what does happen is that you tend to be judged more harshly <sighs> because sometimes there's a sense that, well, if you were more competent, the mistake wouldn't have happened. And mistakes are not a sign of our competence. They're a sign of a learning opportunity that we need to be given. And sometimes what happens, especially if you are a person of color and in the academic environment, is that people don't give you permission to make mistakes. They judge you harshly without giving you an opportunity to correct that for the next time. So what do you do with that? <laughs> what do you do with that? Well, one option is to try to become a robot. Mm-hmm. And since that's not a true option, let's, let's move away from that. I think one thing that's important is to recognize the areas of your work in which mistakes cannot be made. So that is in perhaps, you know, ordering medication for a patient, especially if you're someone who gives chemotherapy, making sure that, I mean, there really just should be systems to prevent any egregious errors from happening when it comes to chemotherapy administration. But that's a possibility. That's a possible area for mistakes to happen that are hurtful to patients, right? And it's thinking about in the areas in which mistakes cannot be tolerated, making sure you optimize to minimize mistakes in that area. And so what could that look like? The example I think about is that, to be honest, in medicine, there's so much we do that's clerical tasks that do not require an MD. For example, making appointments. <laughs> Someone's got to do it, but it doesn't have to be you. This is my personal take on it. Okay, let's leave that for another day. But if you are on the phone for like 45 minutes of your day making appointments, and because of that, you didn't have time to check on a patient who was hypotensive 45 minutes ago, that's not okay. It's not okay. And so what do you do? You let the ball drop of the making the appointments, and you make sure that the ball doesn't drop on following up on a patient who's acutely ill. Now, someone will come back at the end of the day and yell at you because this is medicine and they'll say, how dare you have not made the appointment. Now this person doesn't have an appointment. The whole world's about to fall apart. and You're the worst person in the world. They will come and they will yell at you and it will feel awful. But it is important for you not to let that drive your future behavior. So you don't get to say tomorrow that that attending yelled at me because there was no appointment. I'm now going to prioritize appointments over the patient's well-being. Don't ever do that. But that's the challenge of a learning environment that judges people harshly is that all of a sudden people start to optimize for fear rather than for reality. And I'm going to encourage you, a woman of color in hematology, to recognize the environments in which you are, recognize that there is harsh judgment, and be willing to allow people to judge you in areas that don't matter so that the things that matter are preserved. I talked about the life of a patient. That's important. I don't think we can question that. But as we move further up in our training, we're dealing less and less with like critically ill inpatients for the most part. A lot of our work in hematology, especially in academic hematology, moves to the outpatient setting. And then it has to do with like your life, right? Let's, we let's talk no, no more about making mistakes in the area of patient care. Now we're talking about like your, your life. Like sometimes the attending is upset over 
perhaps a bone marrow biopsy that wasn't done in time. And you have to ask yourself, like people can be upset for many reasons, but when we think about the reason behind the person's being upset, is it justified? Is it justified for me to change my behavior tomorrow so that this ire doesn't happen? And it's a really important distinction for us to make in that what is my highest priority right now? You're always responsible to make that decision. What is my highest priority right now? Sometimes we say, oh, my highest priority is patient care, but then we lump in all the stuff with it. Like calling appointments for patients is not your highest priority. Can I just tell you that if you ever, ever are in a situation where you're on the phone listening to music, I would argue that you should not be doing that. I mean, it's great to listen to music. I think music is awesome. But if you are calling somebody and they leave you on the phone listening to music, I would argue that you should not be doing that. You're like, oh, no, it's for patient care. No, listening to music does not help you accomplish patient care. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not the music. It's the appointment that comes after the music. Okay, listening to music does not help you accomplish patient care. Don't do it. (laughs) Okay, my biases are showing. But what I'm saying is that we lump a lot of things in patient care. And when people come to judge you, they say, hey, you didn't take good care of the patient. You didn't respond to the email that I sent you this afternoon. And I want you to make sure that you think through in your mind, what are the priority items that actually affect patient care? And I want you to value those things. Don't make mistakes there. Optimize your life not to make a mistake in that area. But for everything else that's not actually critical to the life of the patient, don't hold it in equal priority. That's important because in medicine, sometimes because people are yelling so much, goodness, there's so much yelling in medicine. And, and sometimes it's not just yelling. It's just that people are so, they get irritated so quickly. It's like, what is wrong with, with all these burnout people <laughs> who are our attendings or who are working with us? There's a lot of that that drives kind of like our experience. And so because of all that's going on, there's a sense that everything matters equally, but it doesn't. And your responsibility is to sit down and ask, what are the things that really matter? A call from the OR where they were like, there's a bleeding patient and we need your recommendations right now is a different weight from a call from some team that says, why the patient is leaving right now and we need an appointment before the patient can leave. The team may be angry, but it does not weigh the same. And so for you to say, oh, this team is angry, the patient's about to leave, I'm going to return this call first, and I'll just call the OR back in about 20, 30 minutes, is not the right call. Because in one situation, a patient actually does need your help right now, life and death, <laughs> probably. And the other one is just the team is really upset. And so I want to invite you to, to make those distinctions. And everybody around you is not going to make those distinctions because people are calling and they're yelling and they're upset and everybody wants their issue handled right now. But you are the one who gets to take all of that, put away the ire that you're feeling from other people and make a decision as to which of these is weighty. Where is a mistake not okay? And prioritize that area. Now, it's really easy to think about it in terms of patient care. But think about it even in terms of your advancement in the academy. Now let's move away from patients. Where, you know, people are asking you to do all these things and you get to weigh what is the most important thing. 
And in general, mistakes can now happen. Where it's not a life and death situation, mistakes are probably better tolerated. But even so, it's important to just think about in your life, what are the balls that can fall and break? And it will be okay that the ball broke. What are the balls that can never fall? And you always want to optimize for those areas. You always want to optimize for those areas. So I want to encourage you that, you know, mistakes are important because to be honest, they reveal the gaps in your knowledge. And so you do make mistakes. You you know, it's just it's just the way it happens because it's clear that there's a gap that needs to be filled. And so when you make a mistake, it reveals the gap in your knowledge. So, So really, mistakes are a gift. They're a gift to your future self because they give you the opportunity to think about how do you make sure this doesn't happen again? And finally, mistakes are a sign that you're learning and you are in a learning environment. No matter what you do, okay, you're the attending, you're still in the learning environment. You're like, oh no, I'm in private practice. You're still in a learning environment. Life is a learning environment, okay? (laughs) Yes, it's more obvious that in training programs, it really, really, really is a learning environment. But life, life is just a learning environment. And when you make mistakes, it's okay. They're a sign that you're learning. But what you do want to do is optimize so that you are not making mistakes in the areas where mistakes are not easily forgiven. And don't let people yelling at you or screaming at you or having strong opinions change the way you weigh things as far as what is the highest priority, what is the area in which you know, mistakes cannot be tolerated and therefore I should optimize for that area and give it more attention. So, so definitely that's, that's what I want to leave with you. So I want to ask you to stop pretending that mistakes don't happen. They do, as long as you're human and not in the transition to robot person. A book that my kids read is Dogman, right? Half dog, half man. <laughs> as long as you're still a regular human, not a robocop or something. Just don't pretend that mistakes don't happen because it's just, just not really helpful to, to say, to turn a blind eye as if it's not happening. But definitely just when you make the mistake, acknowledge it. And then don't beat yourself up over it. Don't. Like definitely investigate and think about, okay, how does this not happen again? But don't beat yourself up for it. Or beat yourself up over it. And the second thing I want to ask you to do is to have compassion on those who make mistakes. I was so lucky in that environment. There was an attending who had compassion on me in my moment of feeling horribly guilty for a crime I didn't commit, who gave me permission to enjoy vacation, who took away my guilt. That was radical compassion. And I want to encourage you to have radical compassion for those who make mistakes, especially if you are an attending in an environment of trainees. And I want to ask you to create space for your trainees to learn from their mistakes. Because when you judge them harshly, it makes it much, much harder for them to learn anything at all. And there's just not much learning that happens in the place of judgment. And so I'm inviting you to create spaces of compassion for those who are learning. And then I think the third and most important thing is to have compassion on yourself when you make mistakes. Not if, when you make mistakes, have compassion on yourself. Acknowledge that a mistake was made 
feel the bad feeling for a minute or two, and then move forward, recognizing that you're a human being who makes mistakes, not wallowing in the arrogance of like, I knew what I like, but really having compassion and saying, I shouldn't have done that, but I did. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be different and let it go. So have compassion on others, have compassion on yourself, and create environments in which people thrive. If you are struggling with having compassion on yourself and you need a voice to walk you through, (laughs) talk with me, please. I am a coach and one of the things I do is work with people to think through their mindset and reframe so that they can be their best selves. And I am actually opening our group coaching programs in August. So look out for that. And if you are interested, sign up for our masterclass that's coming up August 21st. If you visit us at coagcoach.com events, if you look at our upcoming events, the masterclass will be, will be on there and you can sign up for our upcoming masterclass. And I'd love to see you there. Definitely work with someone to work through that, to work through any of the guilt that you may be having. And I think physicians, and especially physicians who are women, who identify as women may carry a lot of guilt. And to be honest, I think carrying guilt may be a marker of being a woman sometimes is just an expectation that you just take on guilt for so many things. And if that's you, definitely reach out to get the help that you need. So it's been a pleasure talking with you today. And I just want to encourage you, a woman of color in hematology, as long as you are called human, you're going to make mistakes and it's going to be okay. You're going to learn from them. You're going to move forward. You're not going to let yesterday dictate your tomorrow. All right. Enjoy your week. I will see you next time. If you want to continue the conversation, visit us online at coagcoach.com. Take care.